0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the book leads impactful books for life and leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach John Jaramillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have impacted the members of my network, friends, colleagues, new friends, new connections. These are great leads, my guests that I'll be interviewing to get to those books that have impacted them the most, whether it's in their work, their life, their career, whatever it may be, all those worlds intersect and they overlap. Uh, So three categories of books that I cover are books that they're sharing with me that I haven't read before, books that we've both read, whether for the the series specifically or that we read uh, before the series. Uh, And then the third category is where I have authors and publishers on that want to share the message of the book that they've written or had a hand in getting out there to the public. Today, I'm lucky enough to have one of those authors. So my guest today is Misty Compton. And Misty is an international uh, best-selling author, co-author, and founder and CEO of Core Cavity LLC, a writing and editing service. Her first book, Escape Goat Daughter, was published in Ju- July 2022 and has inspired many daughters raised by toxic mothers to heal from past traumas and pursue a healthy lifestyle. In March 2023, she co-authored Her Badass Story 3, a book series where brave women share their traumas and challenges to give women strength to conquer their personal battles. Through her writing, she helps women grow, heal, and flourish after a difficult childhood into the person that they were meant to be. She's currently in the process of writing her first fiction novel series and can't wait to share it with the world. Now, I was introduced to Misty by video producer and YouTube strategist Edie Clark, whom I had for a conversation on the series in episode 48, where we covered two books, Hello Fears, Crush Your Comfort Zone, and Become Who You're Meant to Be by Michelle Poehler. And Practical Law of Attraction, Align Yourself with the Manifesting Conditions and Successfully Attract Your Desires by Victoria Gallagher. Uh, Edie was great enough to trust me with a referral of hers and introduce me to Misty. So check out that episode to learn more about Edie and her work in those books. Misty, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate you.
0: Um, so why don't we start off? Obviously, I went through the bio general overview of who you are, but what about the specifics of the day-to-day? Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with your clients, your writing, what does your day-to-day look like?
1: Yeah. So as of recently, it's kind of changed a little bit. Um, I'm working as a freelance content writer and editor still, but I also got a job working for a government company who provides training for law enforcement and military. Um, but I'm also um, early in the mornings at like 5 a.m. I wake up and I've been writing some fiction because I've i always kind of been interested in like the fiction side of the world. And it's like, okay, well, I need to tell my story before I can go off and like be more imaginative and try a stab at like fiction. So, yeah.
0: What has that been like writing the fiction?
1: I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, it's very different because it's like, whenever you're writing a memoir, it's chronological, you have all the events that happen. So it's a lot easier to come up with like, okay, what's what happens next? What do I write next? But whenever it comes to fiction, it's like, okay, what do I want to happen next? And so it's a little more exciting, because you kind of get to piece things together. And um, it's it's fun.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it's more freeing. So is this all writing for the book that's upcoming? Or is this just kind of Um, like free-form, like free-flowing creative writing? Or is it all building towards that book that you're going to publish this fall?
1: Uh, It's going to build up to uh, publishing a book. I'm not sure if it's going to be this fall uh, because I just started writing this fiction book. I've got about 20,000 words in it, and I want it to be a series. Um, Originally, I published my first book and the second co-authored book through Amazon. But I plan on actually going through like a small press of some sort and publish it through that way to see how that goes.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, now to understand more of who you are, can you give me some insight into where, where you began your, your childhood into your career? What were the steps that, uh, you took to get to where you are now, even if you didn't know it was going to end here, what were those beginning steps in your, into your adulthood? Like,
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually Canadian. I grew up in Canada um, until about I was 11. Um, My mom had met a guy who was from Colorado originally. And so we moved out to Colorado. And I've I've been Americanized is what I tell people because I've lived (sighs) out here for so long.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I can get that. Okay. Uh,
1: So I grew up with them. And then uh, I went to college in Grand Junction. And um, it was between two choices. It was either cooking with Johnson and Wales or criminal justice. And for some reason I chose criminal justice and I didn't fully know why, like I was kind of interested in it. Um, but for a long time, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this is really for me, but I just went down this path and then I just followed it through until I graduated. And then I moved back home for a little bit. And then I started into the peace officer Academy. So I put myself through the police officer Academy for Colorado And that's kind of when the pieces started falling together. Like, why did I choose this path in the first place? Like, why? And um, because I always wondered, it's like, why do I want to be a police officer? Because it's like, I mean, they have to deal with a lot of stuff. Right. And I liked being able to like help people, but you can help people in a lot of different ways. So I'm like, so why this career? Mm -hmm. And, you know, parents have like a big influence on like what you choose in life, what your job's going to be like. Um, and I feel like I took it too far. Um, I followed this career path because my mother had actually um, pursued the criminal justice field. Uh, she was a volunteer police officer for a little bit. And she came home with her big flashlight. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. You know, uh-huh. I was wowed by like the stuff and whatnot. But yeah. um, ultimately, I feel like that was her goal. That was what she wanted in life. That's not what I wanted. However, whenever you're like younger, you're a kid, at least with my family, I felt like if I pursued this career, I would become closer with my mom and she would love me. She would love me unconditionally and I would make her proud. And that's not necessarily how you're supposed to look at love. And I know that now, but at that time I didn't, I was like, this is how I'm going to get closer to my mom. This is how she's going to accept me. So
0: what was her take on you thinking about entering that field or entering that field?
1: Um, she encouraged it and um, she said, go for it. And then I had, I went for it. And then she, she kind of did what's called like a double bind where she says one thing and then she says another thing and they don't match. Child. Well, yeah. And like, like go for it. Don't go for it. Cause you would suck. So it's like, it's like this thing where it's like, okay, so wait, you want me to do it or you don't want me to do it. And I was basing everything on like, okay, what does she want me to do when it's like, you know, you're an adult now, right? It's like, it's time to make your own choices. What do you want in life? Not what your mom wants, not what your friend wants or your husband or boyfriend or whatever. It's like, this is your life. It's time to choose, right?
0: So what did it look like from there? Like what, what did your path actually, how did it actually play out?
1: So my mother and I got into a disagreement. It was back in, I think 2019, like the summer of 2019 and my fiance. So he was my boyfriend at the time. He proposed to me and we had gotten engagement photos. And that's kind of where everything started falling downhill. Um, I got some photos with him and my mother wasn't invited to our private engagement shoot. And she was very offended by it. And there was a big argument that happened between her and I where, I opened up to her about all of my feelings, all of my hurts in the past as a, as a kid, everything that I went through. And my mom kept denying everything and like pretending nothing happened. And then she turned it around and she guilt tripped it into the, in, to like a point where it was like, it was my fault for bringing this up in the first place. And then I felt guilty for making my mom cry in the end. And that is kind of where it all started. Um, I tried to apologize multiple times like I had in the past. Like, I, I'm always the one who apologizes. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I messed up. Um, sorry. I'm getting emotional.
0: No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, um, no, it's but, absolutely fine. Was that the first time you had conveyed to her that the, like, did it catch her off guard that you had in? Because you said you, you finally mentioned something to her, said something to her. Did she know in the past at all that you were having these certain feelings, or was it just mm-hmm. at that moment that's when you kind of let it out and shared it with her?
1: No, we had we had a lot of issues. Like since I was a kid, she'd call me a troublemaker, and like I was always the problem. <laughs> and uh, sorry, it, this no, is emotional. No, like I've no, I've, I've definitely healed from a lot of this, but it always hurts to bring it back up.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, um, we can, we can move on. It's all right. (laughs) Um, okay. So career wise, where, where you, where do you stand at that moment? Um, where, what are you doing at that time between then and now, I guess?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so whenever I was going through like the criminal justice field and everything, and then like the argument had happened with my mom, I actually started journaling a lot and just trying to make sense of everything. And, like why did this happen and like what were the steps that i did to um to like reconcile things right and so this journaling actually turned into a thought that it was like what if i became an author because as a kid i used to love writing i'd write stories like make up belief stories it was a blast and then i just kind of stopped and grew up and It kind of got lost in the past. And then that. I love how we
0: say that. I stopped (laughs) and grew up. You know what I mean? Like when you have that creativity as a kid, you're like, I got past that. And now I, I mean, we all tend to think about like that creative, that dreamer that we, that we had as, that we were as kids. And then it's so sad when we're like oh, yeah but i grew out of it or you know and then i grew up or then i got a job and then i you know i know just, it's
1: so sad <laughs> I,
0: I, yeah i mean but at the very least um most of the authors that i've spoken to in, in that kind of sense were they're like it was like their passion or they loved it and then they they went away from it because of what society put out in their script but then they come back to it um i just hear that so often but i'm glad that you know you 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 came across it again
1: yeah, for sure. I was definitely like, OK, what if I made a career out of this? And so that's kind of where like the freelance content writing came from where I'm like, OK, let's start looking online to see like who needs like a writer for their blogs or their websites or like for products like who needs like sales copy. And so I started going down that road. and then I, like during all like while all this was happening, like I had quit my full time job working for the Bureau of Investigation for Colorado. I had climbed to the top, and I was like, oh, yeah, look at me. And then I was like, and I'm unhappy up here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody's been there before where it's like, oh, I got to the top. And then you're like, why did I even waste my time? Like,
0: Yeah. No, but I think you probably had some good takeaways from that, right? I mean.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always a lesson to be learned in every situation. So, Um, but yeah, like that's kind of where everything turned to writing and I started working for myself. I opened up my own company and um, I've got a couple companies now an administrative company and then also the freelance writing company. And so it feels pretty nice to be a boss. It's pretty cool. Right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, hey, once you make it to that level of success in somebody's already established organization, it's like, yeah, you, it's almost like you establish your own mountain to climb and, and, you know, you trade that success for your own creation. And that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, so that led you, we'll get into the book, the specifics of the book, Mm -hmm. but you, you wrote this book that we're going to talk about. When was that?
1: So I wrote the book, I believe in 2020 when everything was kind of falling apart. Like I had journaled about a lot of things, but I'm like, I don't know. Like I, I was like trying to heal through everything. And my husband had mentioned, he's like, what if you wrote a memoir? What if you wrote a book about this? I mean, it could help a lot of other daughters out there because he's like, you're not the only one going through this. And I totally understand. Cause it's like, whenever I was trying to figure out like, like, why were these things happening? Why do I feel like my mom hates me? Like, why is there so much friction? I had researched a ton trying to figure out like, like, what happened, like what's going on. And that's kind of where it led me into like, um, narcissistic personality disorder, gaslighting techniques, toxic mothers. And a lot of those things kind of brought to light of like, oh my gosh, like there was a lot of things being checked off the list. Like, oh, this has happened. This has happened. This has happened. This has happened. And whenever there's so many things that are checked off a list, it's like, okay, well, this isn't a coincidence anymore. This might actually be what's going on. And so I was under the impression that it's like, my mom might have a personality disorder. And that's kind of where I started observing my mom. I observed like how our family dynamic worked. And that's also where I learned a little bit about like the different child roles and how they play out with a narcissistic personality um, mother. And so like, whenever you have siblings, you might have a, a golden child, a scapegoat, a neutral child, That's kind of forgotten. And that's kind of what happened in my family situation.
0: How many, so was it three siblings or more or? So I've got two sisters
1: and two little brothers. There's a humongous age gap between me and my little brothers They're They were born from my stepdad. And so I think there's like a 16 year age gap, but they're
0: awesome. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, it's, (laughs) they are that much younger, but it's like, um, it's just like a a completely different world. So it's, it's, you have a sibling, but it's just like, it's almost like a different generation, a different mindset that they have. Yeah, it's gotta be interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's see. And I typically ask, so does it make sense from what you, what you went through in your childhood that you're doing the work now? I mean, I could take a a guess, but what what is, what do you think about um, your experiences in your youth to now and the work that you're doing? Can you speak to that a little?
1: Um, um, Can you rephrase your question?
0: Just, uh, I mean, uh, to me, it seems like maybe your experiences and the way that you're helping people now, um, that it would, to me, just to me, it makes sense that based on what you experienced as a child in your youth, that it makes sense that you're here um, helping others, especially if you were curious about law enforcement, uh, I would say maybe helping community um, helping others, to me, it seems like it makes sense that this is the work you're doing because of those experiences and because what you learned in, um, in your work that you're helping other people. Just that it makes sense that this is what you would be doing now.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, whenever it comes to, like, your destiny in, like, that sense, I definitely think that I'm on the right path um, of helping other people. And it's like, I don't, I don't think it's fair for people to be treated the way that I was treated as a kid. Um, but I think like we had talked about earlier that it's like, we learn lessons from these things. And I think it's extremely important. Like, I know you're probably going to ask this question later on, but whenever these bad things happen to you, don't look at yourself like a victim. Once it's happened, it's like, you need to accept that it's happened. Forgive yourself, forgive them, do the healing and move on. Because I feel like a lot of people get trapped in that victim cycle and that, affects your entire life it affects the people around you the way you treat other people the way you treat yourself and so i just i really have to make that note like you you gotta not see yourself as a victim and just see it as like this is an experience that happened and it's time to move on
0: yeah and i think people if they had kind of the 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 guidance from someone like you who's experienced it, who's done the work, who's done the research, who's written about it. I think if they have, cause I think when people hear, you know, don't let yourself be a victim. Most of the times when somebody says that, that's all they say. And then they walk away yeah. instead of don't let yourself be a victim. Here's some tools that you can utilize. Here's some resources you can utilize. Here's some mindset, um, or perception or ideas that you can use. Um, because I think that is powerful to say, don't let yourself be a victim, but then also provide the insight into what that means, and and only someone with your experience could be able to understand what somebody else is going through. I think so many other people that say, don't don't let yourself be a victim. It's like they have no clue what they're talking about. You know, right. and like what do like, you
1: mean? Like this already happened to me. Like how am I supposed to prevent this from happening? It already happened, and it's like what I mean is just don't label yourself that. Don't view yourself as a victim. And it's like you've experienced you've experienced something horrible. And you didn't deserve that. But it's like, don't look at yourself like that. Mm. Um, And then whenever it comes to solutions, like, I've been in and out of therapy for three years, uh, trying to get through everything. And I've gone through CBT. So just the cognitive behavioral therapy, so a lot of talk therapy. And I got to a point where it's like, you can only talk so much. And then you feel like, there's still stuff way down deep, and so from that, the solution for me, at least, was to go and do. Um, can't think of the word. It's a e uh, i. Gosh, I, I can't think of the word right now. It's um,
0: what is what is it more or less though?
1: Um, so it's a therapy. It's a deep therapy. I, I'm trying to look it up right now. I'm sorry. Yeah, sure, sure. But. I yeah because there's like an acronym for it and it's like I want to get it right so I'm not telling people the wrong thing right EMDR
0: okay that's what it is
1: EMDR therapy I'm not sure if you've heard of it but it's pretty much like a root, like getting down to like the root cause of something so if you've been through a lot of trauma and you didn't really deal with it all the way as a kid um, they take you back like your therapist takes you back to like the start time. Like my therapist had me write out a timeline of all the problems that are still like clear in my head that I feel guilty about or things that weren't resolved. And then um, she uses uh, rapid eye movement techniques where it's like you can either do some tapping um, and it's kind of just repeating things over and over. And so you're kind of reprocessing things um, emotions come out. I cried quite a bit. But I was going to
0: say, that sounds scary as hell. It is
1: very scary, especially you know, if you're not used to it.
0: Yeah, because any kind of trauma that we may have gone through, right? I, and I'm not saying mine's anything like yours. Ours is also different. It's one thing to say, okay, I have to work from this, from where I am now forward. And it's another thing to open up that fucking drawer and mm-hmm. see what's in there and go back and live in that moment. Because I'm assuming therapy like that is like okay now you got to go back and put yourself in it, in there and um bringing you so close to almost like it's palpable like you can feel it in your body yeah and I mean, I, I looked know, up that, I that that acronym uh misty and it's let me know if I got this right eye movement desensitization and reprocessing yes
1: that's exactly yeah. what it is
0: yeah it says yes. it's a psychotherapy that enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotional distress that are the result of disturbing life experiences yeah um yeah so i mean for me to have somebody like you be able to write and and heal like i said it it all comes back to just my comment where most people that say don't let yourself be a victim it's kind of like they say that and they walk away where Mm -hmm. it's like you can say okay don't look at yourself as a victim here's why this is my experience here's some tools that you can provide like that supplemental guidance where like other people just kind of like they have the best of intentions, you know. It's over now. It's just look forward, but there's a little more to it than that.
1: Yeah, like they're very positive, but they're not very realistic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's toxic positivity. You know, you know, mm-hmm. uh, keep your head up. Like they have the best of intentions, but it's kind of blind to what, as you've experienced, like the sources are the root causes. So, mm-hmm. Misty, what is uh? just cause I'm curious. And, and obviously from my work, what does leadership mean to you?
1: I think leadership in general has to do with listening. Um, you know, I'm not sure how many people are like religious in your group watching this, but I take this from like the Bible where it's like, you know, let them smack you on one cheek and then on the other. And in this way, it's like, they're looking bad on their part. Like, don't step in, don't, You know, it sucks because your ego wants to fight for yourself and you want to defend yourself. But, you know, in the end, especially working like talking with somebody who has a narcissistic personality disorder, that's not going to work. You're going to look like the bad guy in the end. So the best thing to do is just take it. I know it sounds absolutely horrible, absolutely horrible. And you don't want to do that. But in the end, you're going to feel more empowered by your decision to just remain calm and know yourself, you know, know that that's not that's not who you are what they're saying is not who you are does that make sense
0: yeah i mean the main thing that comes to mind is if you the emotion the energy that you spend responding defending that's just kind of in energy that you're burning for nothing because you know that person's not going to pay any mind they're not going to have any consideration so you're getting emotional and getting worked up but it's mm-hmm. to no end it's not going to get you anything so uh, to me it does make sense um, right so it's
1: like when it comes to leadership, it's like being the bigger person, you know, I mean, you hear that a lot, but really it's like listening to what other people have to say and obviously be like self-aware of things like, Mm -hmm. Oh, they said this, like, is this true? You know, should I rethink something? Should I redo something? But people's accusations aren't always true. And you just have to know yourself and know like what's right. Like follow your ethical compass is what I like to say.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, like most of the work that I do with people that I, I coach is understanding themselves. Because um, so many people that I've worked with, they don't want to do the self work, they just want to know, what do I need to tell people for them to follow me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: instead of getting to know yourself, so that you're unshakable. Um, mm-hmm. For me, leadership is just like the self work that you put into it. And then what people see as leadership, is just you living your your own truth, your own values, whatever it may be. Uh, but it's just a reflection of who you are. So I love that you bring that up. That you know, more or less, that you are your foundation. The more you know yourself, the more you understand yourself. The less shake shakeable you are by any other any any other person's BS or any stress in your environment, any pressure in your environment. Um, whether it's leadership or life, whatever it may be. So no, to me, it does make sense.
1: Yeah,
0: Misty, at this point, why don't we jump into the book? If you could, you've kind of given us some insight as to how it came about. But um, yeah, if you could go a little deeper into that, what did that look like? What was, uh, I know your husband had mentioned how much you could help people with your experience. But when did it it actually happen that you pulled the the trigger and you were like, okay, now this is going to happen. I'm going to start writing this book. What did that process look like for you?
1: So my husband has been like the biggest supporter. Like I could not do it without him. I mean, like I had thoughts about like writing a book and helping other people, but then there's doubt that always lingers and it's like, well, is it even worth it? Like, do people even want to hear my story? Like, do people need this story? And like, my husband was just so convinced. He's like, yes, you, you got to write this and this is for you. You know, this is, going to heal a lot of people. It's not just you, you know? And so like he pushed me towards this in like 2019 or 2020, whenever I started writing the book. And um so like the book itself is from the start of whenever my husband proposed to me. So that was kind of where the book starts. And it's like this happy, awesome, like memory. It's supposed to be a happy memory, right? Um So it starts there. And then um, there's pieces that fall here and there, like just comments from my own mom about just like her lack of support and undermining who I am as a person and my choices. Um, my husband's a really good guy and like, he's a firefighter. He's, he makes great choices. He's got a mind of his own and autonomy. And I don't understand why she didn't like him. Um, I, part of me thinks maybe it was cause she felt he was taking me away but um, back to the book.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, that's a good point that he has all these, these, everything you listed, I mean, is so admirable, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I could see that, that she maybe saw him as a threat of some kind, but anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. So
1: yeah, the book starts off with this happy memory and then my mother and I get into a big argument and that's kind of where it kind of throws me down this rabbit hole of research of like, the first thing that popped up was unconditional love versus conditional love. And although you hear it often, you're like, well, what is the exact definition of that? I mean, what is it? I mean, I I grew up thinking praise and um, agreeing with somebody was love, like unconditional love, but I was very wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: But so that kind of started like the other like research bits that, made me fall into like the narcissistic personality disorder, the gaslighting, the toxic mothers. Um, What's the difference between selfish and not selfish? Because um, I was labeled selfish a lot of my life. And I'm like, I don't understand why it's like the only people calling me selfish was my family. It's like people around me, they're like, Oh, you're so selfless. You're so nice. You're giving. And I'm like, why is it my family calling me selfish? But these other people aren't, is there something that I'm like, I don't, I don't, I couldn't figure it out. And, it was just they considered me selfish because i wasn't doing what they wanted me to do is what it came down to um but the book kind of goes on about um the observations that i find in my family over like several months of like things that happened back to back like specific examples and then the research that i've done and i was able to link the two and then um it was on christmas day where I had finally come to the conclusion that, you know, I, I have three choices. I can either stay in this relationship and like pretend it doesn't exist. Like pretend this is fine. Everything's great. Just go with the flow, which wasn't who I am. I'm definitely a fighter. I'm somebody who speaks up about wrongdoings. Um, So I was like, I don't know if I can do that. The second one was to gray rock gray rock is a technique um, where you, pretty much show no emotion. You don't react to anything they say, which is a really screwed up way to live your life. Um, I don't think you should have to do that, especially around your own family. But I had tried that with like limited contact with them. And even then, whenever I did meet with them, I felt like, you know, it's like that whole thing, one step forward, three steps back. And it's like, I could never like get to a point that I was like, okay, I can just live my life. I don't feel like I'm walking on eggshells. This is gonna be okay. So that choice was out. The third choice was cutting all ties or what they call going no contact. I did not wanna do this at all because I love my family. I still love my family, but sometimes you have to do what's right for you. So that's what I had to do. Um, There was a big argument on Christmas and my mom's like, fine, just leave, just get out. And I was like, okay. We're leaving. And that was the last time I'm like, I can't do this anymore. You know, like, you know, I care about you, but I also care about me. So I had to make that choice and it was the hardest thing I've ever did. (laughs) I think it's a really good choice, though, because right now, now I feel like I'm kind of growing into who I was meant to be, who I would like to be. I want to be a real person, somebody who has... Like ethics and honesty, and that doesn't feel stressed out, doesn't feel guilty about every choice they make. You know, it's like that, that is very powerful. And I like the place that I'm at now. Um, I have reached out to my mother and sister about a month ago. And it, I feel like it was more for me just to say, you know, hey, I forgive you, you know, and I just hope that you guys are living the life that you want to live. Um, but besides that, you know, I haven't heard back from them. They don't talk to me, and I mean, it's sad. it sucks having family families break up, but you know sometimes you got to do what's right for you, what's healthy for you
0: and I mean, just how you spoke about being able to grow into the person that you're meant to be um, even though it is family versus that um I can imagine it's a kind of freedom to to grow into that person to explore who you were to explore fully who you were supposed to be meant to be
1: mm, for sure
0: um, yeah and I'm sorry that we're getting so personal oh it's um, okay and that, and that it's drawn all this um, uh, hurt out of you I apologize for that
1: I think it's I think it's healthy I think this is real you know yeah. people need to know that this is real. And I think showing your emotions sometimes just shows that, that it's like these pains happen and it's okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Please don't take that as I met. Oh, she's feeling like this on, on this series. Oh no. Like what do (laughs) you think? I mean, not at all for me. um, What you said is true. I mean, this is real, you know, not everything in any, in everybody's life is going to be perfect. and I, I believe, you know, it's moments like that, no matter how horrible they may be, but they make you who you are. Um, I can imagine it helps fuel your your purpose um, to help others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so then how does this play into the timeline of you getting your thoughts down into your book?
1: Um, like, are you talking about my memoir? or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I mean like writing the book itself was kind of therapeutic. Um I think journaling was more therapeutic, but when you're journaling, you just like let everything loose and it doesn't always come out very nicely or the right way and so it's like you have to like reword things and look at it from a new perspective of like I love you still, you know. And like I know a lot of people when they write memoirs they can be very angry. Um and I can understand that, but it's also, you have to understand that it's like, we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes and to look at it from like a more respectable angle. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. What I meant was um, that, that Christmas, um, where does that play in the timeline of when you were writing your book? Was it before you wrote your book in the process of writing your book? Did it happen after I might've missed when that happened?
1: So I was journaling before the Christmas argument. However, I didn't completely seal like my decision on writing the book until the following year. So our, our argument was 2019 around gotcha. Christmas. Okay. Okay. And okay. then I hit a really low point in January and February. Um, my husband and I had gotten our first home at the beginning of the next year, and we had decided to live out in the woods um, we love we love nature like we seriously do. And like, I love like, I, I don't mind being alone. I'm kind of more of like a, um, I'm a recluse. <laughs> but my husband was like, I'm getting cabin fever. And so I need to move back to the city. But like at that time, after everything had happened, like our wedding, we had our wedding that September and um, or the 20, sorry, 2020, we had our, our wedding. But at the beginning of January, we had gone through like a really bad patch, like my husband was diagnosed with um, anxiety, I had depression. And that's when I realized I didn't do the inner work I needed to. Um, And so I had to go through a bunch of therapy. And then um, I decided that, you know, maybe it's time to do this book, it's time to write this book and publish
0: it. So Misty, for For the book itself, so what, is that, what does that look like? How do you decide what to share? Um, I think I heard you say before that it started at the time of your engagement, right? Mm-hmm. It is The book starts around that time. Yeah. So how is it that you go about, what's that process look like of selecting what you share, um, how you lay it out, like what's the story you want to share uh, in this in this book that people will read?
1: Yeah. So um, I worked with a mentor, a memoir mentor, mentor. Her name's Carolyn V. Hamilton. Awesome. She's an awesome woman. She lives in Ecuador and she's great. Um, But she helped me put together like a timeline of scenes. So from chronological order, I had written out a bunch of things that had happened. And from there, I had to take out pieces of things that don't really matter or wouldn't like that, like readers wouldn't understand or like connect with and so I built my book based on like from the beginning of like when things started and I wanted to show people show people like what it might look like from the start to the finish of what happens because often when these things happen like at least for me whenever I was searching online like for answers I couldn't find anything you know there was like little pieces here and there but you never get like the full story you don't get the full like, okay, well, how did that even start? How did that happen? What did you look for? How did you feel? What were the arguments that led up to it? Why did you choose no contact? What are the impacts of going no contact? How does that affect your life after? Do you ever talk to your mom or your sister or your brothers ever again? I mean, there's so many questions. And so I wanted this book to help people in a similar situation of like, this is kind of like an example of like, at least for me where it's like, this is where it started. And then these are the observations that might you might be able to relate to. And then this these were my choices and this is the choice I made. And then I also go into detail of like what kind of happened after and then the healing process.
0: So what did you learn from writing the book misty like what how did it change you what lessons did you yourself take away in the writing process some people answer that question in terms of the actual writing like their schedule and how much time they put in but i tend to mean it more as how did it change you or how you viewed well for other people the material but how you viewed everything that's included in there of your life how did you how did you feel anything change in you or evolve or Um, Oh, yeah. How how did you feel yourself shift?
1: I've changed a lot like going through this book. I mean, a lot of people who are writing a memoir understand like it is so hard to relive memories, especially if you're writing a book, because you have to put all your emotion on the page, you have to relive these events. And so sometimes it helps if you do the healing process before or during when you're writing a memoir. But personally, like I feel like it's made me a stronger person. It's made me a more forgiving person who understands um, more of like the bigger picture instead of being like kind of like zoomed in on like what's happening in my life like what what else can like what else happens around here right because when you're in this mindset you're just like laser focused of like all the bad things and so like writing this book kind of like opens up your horizons to like what's going out on like outside of your life like what's what's happening (laughs) But like this book has definitely changed my life. I think it's changed a lot of people's lives. I've had people reach out to me saying, oh, my gosh, like, thank you for helping me with like some of the examples you gave me. Like I saw it in my own family or other people like, man, I am so sorry you went through that. And it's like I'm glad that you're strong enough to get through it. And um, writing a book definitely challenges you on like like it kind of builds who you are writing a book, because it's like, Okay, where are you coming from? And where are you now? And that's what this book did for me. It's it's helped me grow and become a more mature person who can deal a little bit better with my emotions and reactions and boundaries to people. So
0: yeah, I can imagine like any exercise at all, like writing down anything just gives you a little more clarity. Uh, mm-hmm. because it helps you organize. It helps you see, like you said, the bigger picture. Um, and maybe if, if you saw patterns in what you were writing from the past, it would help you in kind of seeing those patterns going forward. Uh, no. So I'm glad that, that, that helped you, that it shifted you. It shifted your life in that way that, especially that you said specifically that you were able to see the world around you, you know, yeah, kind of gave you I'll freedom. Expand. I'll expand yeah, yeah. a
1: little bit on that as well. Sure. Like when I say like, it kind of broadens my horizon, like to see the world around me, it's like, after you do like a lot of research on some of these, these things, you see more red flags in people, you're more aware of your world that you live in. And your radar is kind of like, higher up, I guess you can say, like, you can sense things in people. And you're like, ooh, that's a red flag. I don't know if I want to be your best friend. But we can talk as like, you know, distant friends, but it's like, I don't want to get involved with you. I mean, there's things that happen where it's like, you know, you just spot them now where it's like, oh, I can see you a mile away. Like, don't come near me, please. Like, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially from all the research that you did um, and just like the writing and. Yeah, it it's I can just imagine it's so much looking into your past. And like you said, that radar, that hyper awareness just keeps your eyes open to everything around you because mm-hmm. uh, I think there's just so much. Family is one thing, but I think there's so much that we allow into our lives outside of family that we allow to to intoxicate our environment. And um, what is that? What is the work that you've. Have you helped others in in their writing also as well about this kind of topic, Misty?
1: I mean, I've started a Facebook group it's just a general memoir writing Facebook group. However, I haven't been very active in it just because I'm going more for like the fiction realm now. Um, but whenever people do like reach out to me, like if they want to write a memoir, I just refer them to my memoir coach cause she was fabulous. Um, but yeah, I feel like this book pretty much answers a lot, a lot of questions that you can't find on the internet or if you do, they're in like bits and pieces all over. So
0: yeah i mean everybody's situation is so unique Mm -hmm. the circumstances family members non-family members like what are the players what are the circumstances that have led to somebody being in that much pain um and i can imagine there's no cookie cutter way to fix everyone um Mm -hmm. or help everyone the same way but at the very least just to to see that they can read your story and take away from it what they can seeing themselves in certain pages or certain stories i mean i can imagine that that's got to help people even if there aren't resources for every kind of situation um so yeah that's a that's amazing that's amazing that they can find that kind of um guidance or at least being seen i mean i I can't imagine that they they see that in too, too many other places um so but when they read your story, they they kind of, I'm, I'm mumbling here, i babbling, but um. No, I, just you're think fine. It, I think it's, I think it's powerful that they see those examples because I think a lot of them do get m- locked into um, that victim mindset. Mm-hmm. So it's good that somebody with your experience can kind of wake them up to what the possibilities are for them.
1: Yeah. I think the issue too, is sometimes you don't have that support system because yeah. you've been kind of like, abused and conditioned to be pulled away from all your friends from anybody who loves you even your own family um sometimes somebody with narcissistic narcissistic personality disorder they talk bad about other people making you think you can't trust them and so what happens is it shuts you off from the world and you if you don't have someone to help you like like for me i had my husband thankfully but if you don't have somebody to believe you you kind of feel like you're crazy you're like why do I feel that, like this about my own mom? Or like, why do you feel like you're never good enough? Why do you feel guilty? Guilty is like a big thing, like all the time. And it's like, you get like this, you feel like this adrenaline, like whenever you're hanging out with these people and it's its such a relief when you're not around them. Um, after I've Meaning kept-
0: why? Because you feel like you're in fight or flight, like everything is just tensed and heightened. And
1: Yeah, I mean, like everything that you say, or do is being judged. Um, if you don't say the right thing or do the right thing, you're gonna get yelled at. Even if you think you're doing the right thing, you get yelled at. That's going back to the whole double binding thing where they're like, for example, here's an, like an example from my life. It's like, hey, you know, you should help out more in the kitchen, like help us make stuff. And then you're in the kitchen they're like, get out of the way. You're always in the way, get out of the kitchen. So you're like, okay, well, do you want me to help you? Or do you want me to get out? So then you get out of the kitchen thinking that's what you're doing is right. But then you hear a comment under their breath and they're like, wow, just be selfish and don't offer to help. You know, it's like this this disgusting like back and forth, back and forth. Your brain is messed up. You don't know, like, what's the right thing to do. And so, I mean, it leads to like this instability and doubt. Like this is a common thing with people who've dealt with these kinds of people that it's like you just feel doubt about your own decision. You feel guilty. You don't feel good enough. Um, you just don't feel like you, you are like, like who used to be, you're just not that person anymore. And you don't know why you're like, something feels off, but you don't know why.
0: How old were you, Misty, when you first started feeling that way? When it first really started registering that?
1: I mean, I've had friction with my mother on and off, like since forever, like, and then we started growing together a little bit. Like it felt like our bond was becoming closer. Once I left the house and moved to college like me and my mom felt like we were getting closer and then I moved back home and that's where things started to feel weird again because it's like when I went to college I started feeling like myself like I can like I can live my life I can be authentic I can make my own decisions and not like have to appease everybody around me Um, and then I had like when I went back home after college I was like why do I feel this way again so that's kind of where some of the things kind of felt like, why am I doubting everything again? And that's also when I got onto anxiety medication again. Like, there, there's a lot of pieces at play here. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, Misty, what a, how much of this or your experience played into the other, I'd mentioned in the bio, your co-authorships. Can you mention a little bit about the, the other pieces that you've written or the other um, books that you've contributed to?
1: Yeah, so A uh, Scapegoat Daughter is the book that I wrote, the first book that I wrote on my own. And then and then the second book that I wrote, I co-authored with a bunch of awesome women. Um, it's called Her Badass Story 3 because it's got multiple editions to it. And in that, I had a chapter that um, it's labeled The Willow. And um, it's a very impactful chapter. And it's kind of an extension off of my original book on more of like where I'm at now, now that I have like my own kid. And because there was always a time where my mom's like, well, you know, you haven't had kids. You've never mm. been married. You, you have no experience. You don't even know what you're talking about. And so now that I have my own son, I have my own baby. I've like dealt with a lot of motherly issues. You can say, I mean, there's plenty more to come. I mean, you got toddler year, teenage year. <laughs> But I mean, like now that I have my own son, it's kind of like I view I view my past even more differently now. Um, I had made an agreement with myself that I wouldn't fall back into the trap of just going back to my mom once I had a kid because I felt guilty that my son doesn't get a grandmother. I think that's a big thing to state here, because a lot of people what happens is when they have a kid, they're like, oh, well, I feel guilty for not raising my kid around their grandmother. They should know their grandmother. But if that grandmother isn't healthy, then you need to do what's right. You know, you can't, you can't feel guilty about that, you know? And it's like, if he gets older and wants to meet them, then go for it. But it's like, you also have to protect your young. Right. I mean, it's like an old saying, but yeah. (laughs) yeah. And so that book kind of just like expands a little bit on like, kind of like my first book, although it's more from a, like my own perspective as a mother and, like, I wouldn't want to treat my, my son this way. And so kind of like, there's a lot of questions in there that are brought up of like, what is it like to be a parent after being abused by a parent? Because I know a lot of people too worry about being a mother or a father themselves after being abused by their own family. They're like, well, I'm never going to have kids. I mean, for one, you don't feel capable as a parent. You're like, well, I didn't have a really good role model. So am I going to be a good role model? And I mean, I face that a lot. Like I almost didn't have kids because of that reason. Like the doubt, the doubt, like I said, it gets in your head and it gets in your heart and it tries to choose your life for you and you shouldn't let it happen. (laughs) And like I said, I'm glad my husband's here because he definitely was like, you know, you are aware, you're aware of this issue, which means you're not going to repeat it.
0: Mm. And
1: that's strong. That is strong.
0: Yeah, that's huge just to break that, that to be that chain breaker, that that behavior is not going to flow through the generations, you know, that it stops here. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I was, I was going to ask about that, how you felt um, in being a mother yourself. um, If there was that fear that even though you were aware of it, that somehow it would trickle down, but. uh,
1: Yeah. There's been uh, times that I I reach out to my husband. I'm like, if I ever start, acting mean or like my mother, please tell me. Because it's like, I mean, there's when you're when you're grown up, you're programmed a certain way is how my therapist worded it. Yeah. And your parents program you a certain way. And so it's really hard to unlearn those behaviors. And it takes a lot of practice. And so you're not going to be perfect, you're going to make some mistakes for sure, and some that you really are going to be upset with yourself about. And so it's like having my husband with me is like, he reminds me of like okay let's be grounded let's not make this mistake and like he's definitely like my sounding board and he he helps me through a lot of these these doubts that i have so about like the motherhood part like i love being a mom i seriously do i love my kiddo
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i can, i can imagine it gives you a deeper appreciation um in some sense just having gone through your experiences um Just how much you want to guard your son from that, but it gives you a deeper appreciation for um, just the value of a mother, the power of a mother. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Misty, is there anything else you want to share that I might have missed? You know, what are you up to these days? Anything you want to put out there that I haven't covered or asked about?
1: No, I think we had a pretty lengthy conversation, a good one for sure. Lots of emotion. Sorry about that. No,
0: listen, (laughs) listen. I am I'm an emotional guy I have no problem opening up about anything or listening to anything Um, so my apologies to you were just I didn't want to make you uncomfortable but in terms of emotion I mean we're human oh yeah we're human we've all gone through our own sets of shit if you will Mm -hmm. Um, our stories are so different but it's there and I mean we're we're human I, I think what exhausts us so much in life is trying to keep it all together you know but everybody goes through their own type of stuff it's not all the same but please don't apologize for any kind of emotion or anything at all while we've talked uh don't don't even Forget worry about, about it, it. You know? <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. seriously seriously awesome. um but yeah i i'm sorry was there anything that you wanted to share i know you you apologize to me but you don't need to do that is there is there anything that i might have missed anything you want to share
1: Oh, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I guess as a last note, you know, it's like being vulnerable is a strength. I know a lot of people in our culture see, sees it as like a negative trait. And a lot of people are like, well, people are just going to walk all over me. And it's like, you have to have that boundary in place where it's like, that may happen, but just know you are a good person for just sticking to what you feel is right. You know, you don't have to like defend yourself. Like if There's an accusation against you. Um, Don't look at yourself as a victim, like I had said earlier, because that impacts the people around you. It impacts you, your choices in life, your attitude in life. And so that's kind of like the final notes for me.
0: Yeah, no, but that's incredibly helpful, I think, for anybody to hear just, um, you know, how much of your life are you going to control? I, You know, I think people have more control of their lives than they believe they do um you know you've realized that at a certain point you've learned right and and it's like you're going to take it from there Uh, but i think so many people need to hear that that lesson um yeah just it's powerful just because i think of like my own kids um and when one of them ends up crying and i say you know and he's wiping away his tears and i've heard stories of other parents telling their kids not to cry and then feeling guilty um and I think about the way that the generation before me dealt with us kids crying and then how we deal with crying going forward or just showing emotion. And I mean, with my kid, I, I honestly, I'll tell him, listen, there's nothing wrong with crying at all. But you just got to be careful about when you do it. You, oh, know, yeah. you have to be careful about what you're crying over. Is it really worth it? Yes. Think about that, especially, and I said, and you got to be careful about who you show that to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because there will be people that will use it against you. So always I have—I really have no issue with crying at all, but I want them to be particular about when they do it. You know, mm-hmm. it can't be like the boy or the girl that cried wolf all the time. Oh, yeah. But really think about what it is, because for me, emotion, like I just mentioned before, emotion is important to me. Crying is important to me because for me unfortunately it's like when you have those emotional moments when you cry those emotional tears whatever it may be it's because it shows you how important something is mm-hmm. so i have a deep appreciation for emotion because i think in society we go through like very stoic without emotion right we have to keep our facade together we have to keep our shit together whatever it may be so when you see those moments that somebody lets out within reason Yes. It shows that they're passionate about something, that something is that important, is that urgent. So I would never want to tell my kid, stop crying, period. I don't want to see crying. I don't, none of that toxic masculinity bullshit. Um, but I, I think emotion is very important. So I, but like I, you
1: said, I mean, there's always like a time and place, right? I mean, you don't want to be crying over everything.
0: Absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah. You know, the amount of times that I've looked at them and said, really? And, you know, we we work through it, but um, that's one thing that I want to show, because I think not to hijack the conversation, but as a man coming up, I think it's important for men to be vulnerable, too, to be honest with their emotions. So I don't want to silence their emotions. I just want them to really pick and choose when it's important enough to really show that to people. Yeah. So I thank you for your time. I thank you for your story. I thank you for being completely open and honest with everything you brought to the conversation, Misty.
1: Thank you, John. I really do appreciate this conversation. I think it was healthy, needed, and I hope our listeners learn something from this.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, because I think this is just a conversation. Obviously, I don't know about the resources that are out there. Um, but yeah, you're right. When somebody's going through an experience, you know, we tend to go online to see who's going through what. And as you said, you did the research and there, there wasn't a lot out there that kind of really paved the path of, A, how I got here and where I'm going after treatment or therapy Mm -hmm. or wherever it may be. So um, I appreciate that. I do think it's an important conversation because A, don't be a victim, find the value in yourself. And then also, it's weird. It's like, don't be a victim, but vulnerability is important. But it's Mm -hmm. all about choosing who you show that vulnerability around.
1: Right, nothing's black and white is what I tell a lot of people, you know, it's all gray. Like, you know, like you said, it's like, choose who to trust. make sure you can trust them
0: that's huge that's huge um and i love that you brought up when you've talked to women or whoever it may be that you're working with or has come to you um that that you've felt and i mean we we all kind of know that where um they just don't know who to open up to they don't know who to trust because they felt that it was always them that there was something wrong with them so i love that this message is getting out there about finding the right people that there are people out there that have gone through it that want to learn about it and help. So again, I appreciate it so much. Thanks. And Misty's book is a scapegoat daughter, a memoir of one woman's decision to go no contact with her family. Uh, I thank her again for her time. And if there's anything that I might've missed that I should have asked, we're limited on time. I always have so many questions, but if there's anything that I might've missed, please reach out to me and I'll reach out to Misty and see if there's any feedback or any ideas or anything at all that I can get back from her. Uh, In the meantime, thank you for watching and listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.